Hey guys, welcome to episode number 36 of the podcast. Um, well, it's actually episode number one of the rebranded podcast. So I just uh, changed the name there recently to the Lean Into Life podcast. And no better man to kick things off um, than a former professional footballer, uh, Ryan Casey. So Ryan was a pro at Swansea um, for a number of years, 96 to 2002, um, and then came back and played for a host of League of Ireland clubs, including St. Pat's, Cork City, Gore United, where I bumped into him, Athlone and, and Longford, and I did stint in Oz as well. Um, Ryan was also a member of the Irish Under-18 European Cup winning team, um, won a penalty shootout there in Cyprus against Germany back in 98 with the likes of Robbie Keane and Damien Duff and, and those boys. So we'll talk about that. It was it was sort of deemed as the golden generation of um, Republic of Ireland youth football at the time. So after retiring, Ryan went into a bit of coaching um, and he coached in America for a number of years, as well as being a sport development officer in Sligo, which where he uh, currently lives and he's now involved with Sligo Rovers. Uh, being an assistant manager and also now coaches the under 17 so lots to talk about so uh, delighted to have him on and it's been a while since we had a catch-up so welcome Ryan to the Lean Into Life podcast. Thanks Mike thanks very much pleasure to, pleasure to be on with you. No worries man so first question I suppose my first question I've asked the last probably a few uh, guests is over the last year and a half obviously we've all been involved in a in a worldwide uh, thing, um, how has the last sort of year and a year and a half been for you, sort of professionally, personally? How's it been? Um, I know you have a young family as well, so you know how how how's it been? Yeah, uh, look, it's. I was only chatting to my missus about this the other day, and I was like, Jesus! I said we must have had an awful boring social life because we actually felt like we weren't missing out on that much. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> but we have young kids. We have very young kids and, and we, we live in Sligo and we were here kind of by accident, really not accident, but we've no family. She's a dub and I'm from Galway. And uh, I ended up moving up here for a job with the FEI a long time ago. So we don't have kind of family around us, like sisters and brothers and grannies and granddads. So we constantly, we've never had babysitters. Um, so to be honest, Mike, the only thing, I missed was being able to get down to Galway, obviously, to see my parents um, because of the travel restrictions and whatnot. And they're getting on now, you know, they're both in their 80s. Yeah. So that that was that was that was really hard, obviously, because I'd be very close with my mum and dad, no more than yourself. Yeah. Um, And Claire then missing her family in in Dublin. Uh, She's got cousins. The boys of my two boys have cousins on her side that are all around the same age and uh, they also have a cousin in Galway that's around the same age so they missed out on a whole year and a half of kind of mixing yeah. with their cousins so from that standpoint it was hard but I wasn't uh, the nightclub days and all are over for me Mick um, uh, we, we, we frequented a couple back in Galway yeah they're, they're gone for me I'd say as well so I, I, I get what you're saying there in regards there wasn't a it wasn't it wasn't more so for myself like that going out I suppose it was I suppose the connection and then obviously I had to you know, like yourself, probably the, the the work started closing down, and my the, the gym closed for on and off for the past year and a half, so three times. But uh, so I suppose that connection, and um, you'd miss sort of, um, you know, the the crack and kind of maybe going for coffee. You know, it wasn't going, good, you know, the nights out. And as you said, I managed to luckily back and in hindsight, when I first went back in back in right at the beginning of March the other 2020 I managed to get home for before it kind of Leo locked it all down so I got three months at home which I hadn't been since I went traveling I'd say so for 10 years yeah. so in that way you know it was it was some positives there after I got over the initial freak out of closing down the business but uh look yeah. we got through and, and we opened this week so we're we're delighted so um but no I I, I get you yeah we were the nightclub days are we might we uh, might throw we might throw throw one night out at some stage for a reminisce. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to take you back um, uh, back 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 to the beginning and just as looking on your wiki page there. Were you born in Coventry? Way I didn't know that. I was. I was. I was born in Coventry. Yeah. Um, yeah tell me about that. I kind of keep that under the rug like a little bit, you know. And a lot of lads, uh, my mates, go, "Were you born in? Were you born in Coventry?" <laughs> so you know you can't get away with anything nowadays. And uh, uh, with the internet, but yeah, my mum and dad uh, lived in Coventry for 25 years, actually. But they're both Galwegians, true and true. They're from yeah, Bohemia. Same and my parents are from Mayo, but they got brought up in Cambridge. Yeah, same. Yeah, so they they moved there and they were there for 25 years. And all of us, me and my four sisters, were all born in um, 
in Coventry. I'm the youngest of five, but we moved back to Galway when I was only six months old. So okay. I I never had... Um, you keep that on the down low, so I keep that on the Yeah, I mean, you know. I get sick from it. A few of the lads love to throw it in on me and all that. Like, you know, and, like, are you supporting? Are you getting your England jersey out now for the Euros and all that sort of stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> I just said, yeah, yeah. I get the old, uh, the old. Remember the red one with the little button collar, the umbro one. Oh yeah, yeah. They used to have that, but I was like, I said, I, I would never wear that. One. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. People say, oh, we would. You? I was brought up in the green as well, so it was like an odd. No, yeah. no. <laughs> um, and I know you touched on your family, and I even from knowing you back then, um, how close you were, your sisters and your parents. Um, and just to talk about kind of Goy Hibs and, and the junior soccer. You know, it's a big. He's big in Galway and how your dad, you know, he's a hero. Uh, he's a big, uh, big influence. Was he a big influence on you? And I know he's heavily involved, wasn't he, in junior football in Galway Hibs. Just maybe talk about that upbringing in Galway and, you know, was it always surrounded by football uh, case, was it? Yeah, it was. Uh, my dad my dad would have been, my dad's a you know, bit of a local legend in Galway. He would have played for Blackburn Rovers, one of the very first guys ever to go across. Um, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, across the water. Yeah, Jackie. John, I get this. I know it's Kerry. It's either Jackie Kerry or Johnny Kerry signing for Blackburn Rovers, and he was meant to sign for Shamrock Rovers, who were a brilliant team at the time. But he 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 came over to watch him, and he was playing for an Irish under under eighteen team, and um, he ended up signing for Blackburn Rovers and went over there. Uh, left Galway when he was seventeen. And look, I hear everyone talk about it, and I I always had that kind of thing growing up. If you were half the player your father was, you're going to be a multi-millionaire and all. Yeah, yeah, I heard yeah. he was. Listen, yeah, and there's no footage of him, obviously, but I heard he was really, really Ready. good. But yeah, and he was a lefty. He was a left footer as well, and you know. But he was always, he was always really low key with me, Michael. Growing up, um, he always came to watch me games, but he'd always arrive ten minutes after the start of the game, and he'd always leave ten minutes before the end. And um, he used to just sit up on the wall. I used to play in my schoolboy years at Newcastle United, and the club was disbanded now. But some great players came through there, and. Uh, John Joyce would have ran that club for years, put in immense work. But um, all the lads in Westside either played for Newcastle or Carb Rangers. Okay. Um, Colin Hawkins went through there. Tony Follin went through Newcastle for a while. Dara Sheridan, um, and all these and all these guys. Kieran Foley went on to play in England or in uh, the League of Ireland. But my dad used to, I used to come home after the game, and my dad, I used, my dad used to go, "You done all right today, no son? Or you didn't do great now today?" But he would never. He would never, um, never go through me, or, or he would never kind of give me too much praise either. But when he'd say, "You've done all right there today," no son, I used to feel top of the world. You know, yeah, that's yeah. all I he needed. He's a hero, me. like you'd be like buzzing. He's my hero. Yeah, he still is my hero, my dad. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, no more than you and your dad. I've always had a brilliant relationship with him, and um, and and he was involved with junior football in Galway then for ages. He coached Galway Hibernians, managed them, and they had brilliant teams. I mean, I look at junior football now compared to back then, and. Some of the players that used to play for Galway Hibs and they got the FEI Junior Cup finals, uh, semi finals two years in it, uh, two years on the spin or twice. It might have been a gap year between them. But the crowds that used to be in Bournemouth, I remember they played St. Francis yeah, one year. Yeah. And the crowds in Bournemouth, it was unbelievable. The, I, I think, don't think junior football is like that anymore. But um, I always used to look at them and, you know, even the way he managed those men, tough men, hard men. Um, and they always, even as a young age, I could see they had the greatest respect for him. Um, but I used to pick up early and how he used to treat other people. And um, from him, and you used better. that when you were kind of, and that kind of respect and that sort of just general kind of kindness for other people, like you know. Yeah, he had that, you know, and he had a lovely kind of. He always had a lovely open manner about him, you know. But he could drop the bomb as well. There was no doubt about it. But um, yeah, yeah, when he yeah, was, needed, no, he was I, I was always around him. I used to go to every training session up at Hibs. He gave me a crossbar on his bike. He used to cycle a bike. Used to cycle a bike over the bridge from Westside, and he gave me a crossbar on the bike. I'd be watching the trainings. I'd be watching every game. Um, I was stuck to his hip, you know, as a young fella. Yeah, yeah, it's great memories to have. Like, I'd be probably similar, similar ratio going out to work with my dad or whatever. And, and again, like that, come and watch, but it would be, it wasn't like, you know, you see some, you see some parents, you know, these, you know, and those kind of pushiness and kind of, you know, and then sometimes the, 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 the child or whatever, girl or boy will kind of get put off then down the line, you know, um, whereas it was supported rather than kind of, you know, and it was up to you if you enjoyed it and you were having fun, you know, that, that, that was the yeah. main thing, like, you know. 
hundred percent, yeah. And he always, you know, if I used to come in and say, "Oh, I played really well today," that I remember, and it always stuck me to this day. They always say to me, "Self praise is no praise," you know. And yeah. I remember that from 10, 11, 12 years of age. And it's they're just things that kind of stick with you all your life, you know. But um, yeah, look, my mum and dad, my mum and dad were brilliant, you know, growing up. There was no pushiness to just let me get on with it, you know. Yeah, and that's brilliant, and that's what you want. Um, and as I said, we just were chatting briefly before we 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 started, and I interviewed a, a guy called Brendan Maloney, who's from Kleine Athletic, which is the club I kind of played for the last few years. Retired now, uh, <laughs> but uh, he uh, he went from Klein Athletic to and obviously the shop window in down in the the southwest, probably in Galway as well, wasn't as big as as Dublin. So he went up to Belvedere, um, and I knew you might have done a similar thing. And it turns out you were there as well. So he was there for a year, and he got scouted by Nottingham Forest, and you went over there, and and he was there Forest for a while. He ended up a good few clubs in Northampton there before he came back to her. he retired and came back and started his coaching now with the under seventeens in Kerry, but. Um, just, just maybe tell the listeners there from your journey, obviously playing, maybe you're playing in, in, in Galway for, say, a junior team and then going up to Belvedere and then um, get, getting scoured. How did that sort of pan out? Well, there was a guy, uh, I was playing my schoolboy football for Newcastle United in Galway and there was a Dublin coach that had uh, relocated to Galway, Dave O'Connell. And he was a really good coach, in fairness to him. And um, he was involved with Newcastle, but he's, you know, he kind of seen a little bit about me maybe at that age and he had a couple he he, he had he was his old club in Dublin was Belvedere so long story short he he got in touch with Vinnie Butler um up at Belvedere um who would have managed the international underage teams for years yeah and they brought me up and uh the first time I ever met the squad we went to the Ian Rush tournament in Wales oh serious. in Aberystwyth and it was a it was an unbelievable tournament and I I never met any of the squad um I just I went up the day before and then we got the ferry over and, you know, I was intimidated. I was a little culty to them. Um, and all the lads were from Belvedere and Dublin from like uh, Ballybock and uh, Marino and up around East Wall and all. So they were, they were, they were, they were uh, funny characters and they were, they were rough boys. Like, yeah, like, I, I was from Westside myself, so I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been that green, like going up there, but it was a different kettle of fish, but I, I did. I played in the tournament. The tournament was unbelievable. Robbie Keane was playing. The, Robbie Fowler was playing in the under 18s. We were playing in the under 13 tournament. Unbelievable. Him and Steve McManaman were unbelievable. I'd they, say. they played um they played Bayern Munich and the the tournament was ridiculous. They had teams from all over the world and all premiership clubs, top Bundesliga clubs. The pitches at the university were like a, a carpet. It was it was brilliant. But they beat they beat Bayern Munich in the final at the under-18s and the crowd watching it. And I think Robbie Fowler scored a hat-trick and the, like he was, we were just like, my God, this fella's a different level. But we did really well out there. We were just like a schoolboy club, but we got to the final. Um, we got to the final and we we beat, who did we beat? Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, so, and we beat Stoke along the way. Um, some, but Swansea some scouts, out, Yeah. Swansea had a scout there and um there was an he brought me I got a phone call when I went back to Galway and he brought me and a lad called Stephen Roach over for a week trial to Swansea. Uh, Ron Walton was the youth development officer at Swansea. And we went over for a week and after three or four days they offered to they wanted to sign us on schoolboy forms and an apprenticeship. Um wow. I couldn't believe it, you know. I was 13 at the time and it was I was starstruck got the seeing the floodlights, seeing the stadium at the Vets field in Swansea. And, I was like, I'm a hundred percent doing this. You this know, my mum was I like, want to do kind of in school. I was like, oh my god, I I have to go. You know, I loved it. You know, but the lad that went with me, Stephen Roach, he was a brilliant player. He went to Millwall. He was probably always going to Millwall, and he actually made his debut for Millwall at 16 under Mick McCarthy. But um, it didn't quite work out for him. I don't know what happened in the end with Stephen, but um, I know he lives in Australia now. But yeah, I, I ended up signing then for um, Swansea schoolboy forms at 13. And 13. obviously yeah. at 13, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And uh, did you did you kind of just move over to like Deegs or how did it work? Was it just I, just, I didn't go, I didn't go till I was 15 then because we couldn't go. I, I actually went a bit early. You weren't meant to go until you were 16. Yeah, yeah. But I, um, I was back and forth from 13 to 15 and all the school holidays, Easter, summer. I used to go for five weeks in the summer and do the whole pre-season with the youth team. Awesome. Um, and then at, uh, after my junior cert, finished the junior cert in June, I moved over to Swansea that July. And I remember uh, I didn't do my leaving. I didn't finish school out. 
Um, I remember cycling out with the Bish. Uh, the Bish was the school, St. Joe. I remember school, cycling yeah. out with the Bish after my last exam. I can't even remember what the last exam was. It might be in geography or something. But I was like, I remember the day cycling out where they're going, I'm finished with school and I'm heading off to England to be a professional footballer. And I remember the feeling to this day. It was so clear, yeah. So it was some, some memory like to that stick in your head forever. Like, you know, that was your, your bike there off on your BMX home and said, I'm off to play football for a living. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and another thing I kind of picked up from um, Brendan and he was saying, you know, going over to Forest and stuff, he was probably around 16, whatever, saying similar maybe, um, you know, the the sort of some lads, the homesickness and stuff. But he used to, I think they used to say they was doing a Forest where they, they obviously dropped the kid, they dropped them off, but then they left it a good few months before they the parents came over again just to get them settled in and stuff. Um, and he's talking about sort of lads who kind of maybe fell away or fell by the wayside. Um, and obviously it's a huge turnaround going from, say, Galway to, to a big club like Swansea. So what was it like sending into that environment, Case? Um, and did you see lads who struggled or like talented boys, but maybe just didn't, are they either homesick or maybe the commitment wasn't there? How how did you see that? Yeah, uh, I think it was different for everybody. Um, me personally, I, I was fine. Uh, Mike, I was just so wanted to be a footballer that I missed home. Don't get me wrong, but I was I was just loving every I was loving every minute of it. Um, and then it was a, like within our youth team, we had local lads from Swansea, with lads maybe down the road from Cardiff. We had a couple of lads from London, lads from Newcastle, all around kind of Great Britain. But, you know, it was so weird. It was some of the local lads, even though they were going home to their mum and dad's own house, we were going back to digs. They struggled because I did the old school apprenticeship, like the proper old school Whiting apprenticeship. It's kind of like... Oh, it was... We were, we were painting the stands. We were we were scrubbing yeah. floors. We, we, were, we were cleaning and washing the pros' kits and polishing boots all day long like honestly we were bleached and like i had the medical room i was in charge of the medical room and uh jimmy rimmer was our youth team manager and he'd come in and he's run he'd run his fingers uh, like behind the most innocuous places and, so and if there was a bit of missed that he, he missed that he would kick the mop bucket over the floor and the other lads he goes do it all again and this is it this is after being on the pitch for four hours getting the bollocks ran off us um picking up yeah. pros kits but like and then you know which is kind of gone was, from uh, do you know what happened? Yeah. Do you know the local lads? They were going home, probably telling their mum and dads what was going on. I can't believe he did this, and we had to do this today. And their mum and dads were probably like kind of feeding them, and you know, going, yes, yes, "Oh yes. God, that's terrible." We didn't have that. I used to go home. We'd go to digs. I had a roommate with me who was from up in the valleys, Lee Jenkins, still a great buddy of mine. So I think it was worse for them because then they were getting mollycoddled by their mum and dads, where we were like. We'd given up way more than they did to be in yes, that position. So we were up. determined. We were like, you can do what you want to us, Jimmy. We're just yeah. going to keep our heads down and get on with us. You know, we'll scrub every floor. We'll yeah. scrub every seat in the stadium, you know? Yeah, and you were driven because, as I said, you've you've moved country. You've you've put all this eggs in your, in this basket and say, look, I'm, yeah. I want this and I, I'm going to go for it. Like, you know, so, yeah, I get yeah. you because then you've got probably got other people talking in their ears, parents and this and that. Oh, my yeah. my poor Timmy shouldn't be doing this and that, you know? So uh, Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, I picked up the phone. Don't get me wrong. I, I wasn't like I was a machine. There was times where I had tough days and, yeah. um, I used to put so much onus on how I was playing or how I was training. And I was, I was always really hard on myself. And if I had a bad training session or a bad game, I, I was terrible. I, I would get really down in the dumps. And there were the moments when I used to get homesick and I'd pick up the phone to my mum or dad. And I remember my dad just going, you know, just get on with it. You know what I mean? Just get on with it. Yeah, Suck it up, you know? And, yeah. you know, you know what you want to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to come home? Do you, do you want to come home? And I was like, no, no, I don't want to come home. He goes, well, you know, just tough it up. Tough it up, you'll be fine. Everyone has bad days, you know. Just dust yourself off. So, and that was it, you know. Um, Got a bit of a pep, pep talk off the old man and like back in, yeah, it, back in the like, game. You know, listen, this is life, you know. If you want to go down this road, it's gonna be you're gonna have ups and downs. And you know yourself, Mike, from playing football, it's from a career. It's there's no more play. The ups and downs are just huge with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a roller coaster, isn't it? And and you were there like a massive club like Swansea there for a good. A good number of years. I remember you telling me about the fan base, like they're a fairly fanatical fan base. Like you know, they're they're yeah. they're like a Newcastle, like one kind of they're, they're, it's, it's life down there. How did you find that? And uh, you had a good relationship with the fans, is saying there. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, look, you don't know till you get there. It's uh, but the Swansea, 
the Swansea fan base are they're they're fanatical. I mean, the Swansea Cardiff derby alone was it's unbelievable. I mean, they were banned from each other's grounds for six or seven years, and the only other other two clubs or you know derby that happened with was Celtic Rangers. Like the the violence and the and and their so called hooligan firms, they they used to be murder. I remember playing at Ninian Park, um, Cardiff's old ground, when the ban got lifted, and I was seventeen, and I was on the bench, and um, so they let all they, they kept all the Swansea fans down the motorway, and they let all the the Cardiff fans in. So it was obviously it had terracing back in the day. Yeah. So the three sides were full of Cardiff fans and then the away end was obviously empty and they didn't want them clashing coming into the ground. So they only let them in about 15, 20 minutes before kickoff. And we just, we were on the pitch and we just heard this roar and all the Swansea fans started piling into the away end. And mm. it was almost like they were delighted to see each other again, both sets of fans in the one stadium. They missed then, that like, kind of rivalry. Yeah. Oh, it was mad. And then two seconds later, they were climbing over the fences and there was a full-on brawl on the pitch. We, we got called off the pitch. <laughs> no way. Game got delayed. Yeah, game got delayed. Um, game that was got six delayed years, six years in the pressure cooker and they're like, boom. That's what it done. was. It was like, here we are. We're going to, haven't, we haven't battered each other for six years. <laughs> Let's do it. But it was crazy. I, I didn't realise how, how mad the rivalry was between them. But I, I ended up having loads of friends in Swansea outside football who were big Swansea City fans as well. And you could just see the the passion they have for the club it was it was crazy I had a couple of nights out in Cardiff and I remember David Ford 40 who was, 40, was yeah, a good yeah, mate yeah. everyone knows 40 he played for Ireland for you know whatever 30-40 caps now but he was playing for Barry Town in the Welsh League and he said we're having a night out in Cardiff come down I said I can't go out in Cardiff <laughs> and, and <laughs> he turns around on. yeah he said to me he goes he goes who the fuck do you think you are who's going <laughs> to Who's going to recognise you, you big time Charlie? And I was like, no, it's not like that. And at the time, I, I was only 17, 18. But I, wow. I, I, was, I broke into the first team at 17. So this is and he goes, uh, like the opposition fans and know every player. Like. Oh, 100%, yeah. And, and we were in this. I said, all right, I'll come down. And we were out drinking. Um, we're having a few pints. And we ended up in this boozer. But I seen a, a gang of lads. And they were, you guys tell them were naughty. Like, and I seen them looking down, talking. And I said to 40, I said, 40, be on your toes here. I'm telling you. They've I've, clocked I've, me. They've clogged me. <laughs> I said, I've been rumbled. And he goes, 40. Goes, he goes, no one like knows football, you. It was like a football factory scene when they come in and they go, Stokes Honestly, God, they had their Stone Islands on and their Burberry hats. And <laughs> it was mad. And 40 goes, shut up. No one knows you. Like, who do you think you are? And I said, I'm telling you, I've been rumbled. So this fella comes down and he starts beeline towards me. I said, I'm telling you, just be ready. This is gonna this is gonna go off here. And your man goes to me, he goes, Yeah, you're right in case you knew. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I'm my worst, like in an Irish accent, I go, no, no, you got the wrong fella. <laughs> and he goes, right, Casey, I'm in a good mood tonight. I'll give you three minutes to finish you fucking pint or I'm gonna dance all over you, Ed. <laughs> Jesus Christ, no way. I never I never drank a pint this quick in my life. I was like, out the nice. Let's go oh, for it. I think I threw it over my shoulder and legged it, yeah. And he would have as well. Oh, they were crazy, yeah. The rivalry was mental between the ball. It was it was the games were brilliant to play in, yeah. I'd say the atmosphere was was second to none there, I'd say. It was brilliant, yeah. yeah it was and you could probably feel it like goosebumps, yeah. Oh, and yeah. what we what kind of gaffers were you playing under there? What were they like in regards to your um I had me day a Yam Molby. Um Yam Molby big Yan. He gave me my debut at seventeen. Um Baller, he was, he was baller in the middle. Oh, he was unbelievable. He was un- now he was about seven stone overweight, right? When he was player manager with us, but yeah. you couldn't get the ball off him. I never ever seen him give the ball away or anyone take the ball off him in training. One of those plays you just couldn't get near. Like I make it. I used to play on the left wing, and um, I was skin and bone at the time. But I, I, I was rapid, quick, like. And he used to say to me, "It was a dream for me." He goes, "Stay out there wide." He goes, "I don't want you tucking in. I don't want you tracking back." And he goes, "I'll find you with the ball." Dreams and like. <laughs> Some of the some of the passes he used to play out to me like it was like how has he done this and I was nearly like in awe of even the ball coming out to me. He I was pinging to your toe until yeah anywhere like he wouldn't break stride and he'd drill it he'd clip it he'd bend it. Um, like my mate Jenks used to play in midfield with him in a four four two and God love Jenks like Jenks had to do all the doggy work. <laughs> Jenks used to get oh, stretched off after about 60 minutes because Jan never made never, Jan never moved out of the centre circle but he's like done, he's done about 20k in the middle of the park for me Jenks oh, he was, and he never warmed up he he used to do like he used to come out and he shin guards remember do you know the sticky pattern you would put on sometimes got a sticky yes, back yes, on it yes. 
He used to put that on his shins about six inch long. Wasn't real shin pads. <laughs> and he'd go out and he'd do a couple of keepy uppies and a couple of half follies across the pitch for his warm up. And then go and play. And my mate Jenks used to go, fucking hell, he goes, I'm going to have to do serious doggies again here today for this fella. Like, if you had GPS back then, I'd say. Oh, his GPS, I'd say he covered 0.3 kilometers. His, his heat map would just be like a red dot. <laughs> <in the middle. laughs> he just, his heat map, the people thought his heat map was the center circle. Uh, so you had Moby, anyone else that kind of... Oh, God, I had so many. Your... We had, we had uh, Jan Moby, John Hollands, ex-Chelsea, absolute gentleman. Um, then we had Mickey Adams, Alan Cork, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, Colin Addison. Um, who else came in and out? Uh, Brian Flynn was after my time there. But there was mad stuff going on at the club. Went into liquidation, went into administration. This guy came in, Kevin Cullis, who was coaching... <laughs> Some guy bought the club um, and he, he appointed Kevin Cullis, who used to be a youth team manager at Solihull Moors. <laughs> that was bizarre. He came in, he'd done the worst team talk we've ever seen in our lives. We were all looking at each other going, this has to be a prank. Like someone's filming this. It was bananas. He lasted about two weeks, honestly. And then... Uh, bring out some quotes from fucking... <laughs> I was like, yeah, any given Sunday speech before the game. Like, yeah. But... um it, look, it was it was a great time as well, but like the club, the club was mad. It's not like the club it is now, like the setup. Um, yeah, I, you know, it was great experience. I never forget the times I had there. Best times in my life, really. You're sixteen to twenty-two or twenty-three. Yeah, um, and I still have friends for life that I I, I grew up with there. But um, yeah. yeah, look, injuries. I had a lot of injuries there and whatnot. But um, you, you kind of look back and you go, oh, were we looked after proper? You know, there was no reserve league at one stage for a whole year. I remember lads that weren't the first team, they were going six months without a game of football. And it was like, what is happening here? Like, He's an, and yeah, that's not going to bode And then you get thrown in the first team and you're expected to perform and you hadn't played football in four months. Yeah. It was, it was um, look, old school. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, we'll talk about then after you when you came back in a second, but we can't go without talking about your uh, <coughs> your European Championship winner. Um, with uh, the boys in the, it was 1998 wasn't it that you uh, yeah. over in Cyprus and uh, um, it was I said on the, on the wiki and, and it's been sort of talked about as the golden generation of that youth football of Ireland and all the players that came from it talk us through that experience if you can I know you haven't got the you could be there talking for hours but how was that getting playing and, and I suppose that, that group of players and getting to the, the final and actually winning it and I know you, you, you scored your penno didn't you in the final yeah, yeah. Um, talk talk, uh, yeah, talk look, through that. That was amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. It was ninety eight. We 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 I can't even remember. we qualified obviously, but that time the European Championships, the the under eight, it was only two eight teams qualified. You know, okay. um, so it was it was a super hard to even get to that stage. Um, so it was only the you know the the eight teams that went. It was in Cyprus. So our group was. Um, Cyprus were the host nation, so they were in it. So our group was ourselves, uh, Cyprus, Croatia, and England. And on the other side of the draw was like it was France, Germany, Portugal, and God, I can't even remember the last team. Um, oh, Holland. I think it was. I think it was Holland. It was like Holland, or, Holland or Belgium. But the standard was the standard was standard was crazy. Um, but yeah, it was unreal experience. I mean, we 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 had a brilliant team, we had a brilliant squad. Um, uh, Brian Kerr, obviously, and Nola Riley were the managers, um, and they were brilliant. They were just they motivated you. You know, you, you they made you feel they made you they made you they made you a better player than you actually were. They got the yeah. best out of you and a little bit more. They just filled you with confidence, and they were so proud to be Irish, and it kind of rubbed off on all of us as well. Yeah. I mean, you'd run through a brick wall when you went out into the pitch after a Brian Kerr team talk. He was unbelievable. Oh, he was that good? Yeah, he was unreal. Honest to God, Mick, he was. I he, he is he is the best manager I ever worked under for knowing the getting the mood right and 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 t- his timing and stuff and knowing what to say. Yeah. Really, br- br- he's a brilliant communicator. Yeah. And Nola Riley, Nola Riley was a genius. Like um, quirky with some of the stuff he did. You know, he was his own man. He had his own way of doing things, but. He was so genuine, but he was brilliant. Um, yeah, and look, we 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 won we won the first game against Croatia, five um, two, and we knew that Croatia are always brilliant, but we knew they were good. But we we were brilliant that night. Robbie Keane was unreal that night. Stephen Stephen McPhail, um, and then we we played England in the second game, and we lost we lost one nil to England. They had like Alan Smith, Jonathan Woodgate, uh, Paul Robinson in goals, Danny Kadamatri, Michael Ball. 
um, in a serious team. But we lost one in and we were unlucky. We didn't really play great. There was nothing in the game. And then it came down to the last game then to see. So the top of the group played the top of the other group straight final. That was it. That was it. So oh. the last game, Howard Wilkinson was a manager of England. And he was so confident going into the last game. He'd sent them. Um, they were staying in the same hotel as us, England, by the way. So he sent uh, his, his investigating party to the winner's hotel to make sure everything was going to be all right at the hotel for them. Oh, Without, no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. Yeah, we found that out. And Brian Kerr found that out. So he was telling us all this. So the last game, we played we played Cyprus. And we had to beat Cyprus by, I think we had to beat Cyprus by two or three goals. And Croatia were playing England. And um, we we kind of made a, we had a good relationship with the Croat lads. We kind of got on well. But anyways, we were saying to them, come on, do us a favour in the last game, lads. And the Croats, you know, every, everyone, yeah, hates, yeah. everyone hates the English team. <laughs> yeah. So the, the Croats were like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we know, we'll try and look after you and all this. So we did our job. We we I think we beat Cyprus 4-1. 4-1 or 3-1. I think it was 4-1. And Croatia, Croatia beat England. So we topped the group. And I never forget. I never forget. Cheers, um, buddies. Cheers, buddies. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Like, um, we never forget we came back to the hotel and England were coming back around the same time. And we knew we were going to the final. And I, me- I remember uh, Brian Kerr going up to Howard Wilkinson and kind of, you know, shaking his hand and basically saying, Fuck you anyway. Yeah, like yeah. You, you counted your chickens before they hatched, yeah. Never done and that schoolboy era there again. Yeah, he did. He, you know, I mean he kind of tempted fate. But uh, yeah, we topped the group and Germany topped their group. So it was a straight shootout then to the final. Yeah. 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 Obviously we we won on penalties. Um, but they equalized in the 93rd minute and it was roasting. It was in Larnaca. It was Sweat in the middle in the middle of July, like uh, Irish lads, we were nearly <laughs> dying on the pitch. You know what I mean? The, the fifty ginger lads, lads looking like lobsters out there, just in pieces. And then they, we were one nil up. Uh, Alan Quinn scored a great goal. Robbie King pulled off a bit of magic. And then I think I saw. I watched that on YouTube last night. Yeah, yeah last night. it was a brilliant. But Robbie did a little flick on the end line, and Alan Quinn scored. And then they they equalised in like the ninety second minute, la- last kick of the game. Oh, and we were like, oh, we're punctured. Now I I didn't start. I didn't start the game. I actually went into the tournament with an injury, so I wasn't even right to play in the first two games. I wasn't even available. But Brian put me on for the whole of extra time, like you know. So I probably gave him a bit of fresh legs. But yeah, one on penalties, it was amazing. You know, even you talk to the lads now, we had a reunion there a couple of years ago um, for the both winning squads because the 16s won the same year. Oh, and, you know, Robbie was there, Duffer was there, um, Stephen McPhail, everybody. And we, they still, Andy Reid with the 16s, John O'Shea were all there. And they still talk about it. It was the, the highlight of their careers. Jeez. And you just like um, falling back into old times, was it, when you met yeah, up? Yeah, it was stuff. brilliant. Yeah. And they're, listen, they're just, at least someone have gone out to have unbelievable careers, you know, multi millionaires. And yeah. you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't yeah. know it with them, you know. Who who really stood out, Case, back in that squad, like that? That you played with and was like, um, and they may have gone on or they may not have gone on, but who was like, you were like, jeez. Do you know? I mean, the obvious ones, Robbie Keane and Damien Duff, like they were they were quality. But honestly, for me, you know, the best the, the best player of the whole lot of them was Stephen McPhail. Really? Oh, he was class. I mean, he had such on he had such bad luck with injuries. I think he had two knee reconstructions, and then he he I think he picked up a rare disease, a, a similar disease to what uh, Venus Williams had at one stage. Yeah, he was so unlucky. Mick, he he was absolutely different class. Like he was, he was he ran a whole game. His left foot was out of this world, and he was just. I think if honestly, I honestly think if he didn't get injuries, he would have gone down as one of Ireland's greatest ever players. Really? Jeez. Yeah, he was. He was brilliant. Even Duff, even Duff and Keane would look at him and go, "My God, this fella's unbelievable," and they were unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what about some of the other? Was there any sort of the German players or Dutch players that there were the young players that have gone on to any? Um, yeah, I mean, the keeper team, more Hildebrandt, he went on to have a really good career in the Bundesliga. And Seb- Sebastian Deisler, do you remember him? Yes. Um, he, yes. He, he he ended up getting really bad depression. Um, he? Yeah, he, w- he was at Bayern Munich, but he was playing in Bayern Munich's first team, I think, when he was 18, 19. And he was meant to be the next Bastian Schweinsteiger. And I think he went through a, a really severe depression, like really bad, where he had to be kind of like sectioned. Jesus Christ. God love him. Like, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, then we went to the World Cup the following year in Nigeria on the 20 World Cup and um, 
Ronaldinho was at that tournament for Brazil. Uh, Rafael Marquez was there in our group. We played for Mexico. He was he was an unbelievable player. And I remember a little guy from Nigeria. He ended up going to Ajax. Akidia was his name. Uh, we, he was unbelievable at the time we played Nigeria. No one could put a finger on him. Couldn't get close to him. Jeez, some experience to see those players in action. Like, up close, like, you know, in a World Cup situation. Yeah, from the bench, like... <laughs> <laughs> Still was up close, like. <laughs> yeah, it was close enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then you saying after you know after um, sort of around two thousand two was it two three was it um, was kind of injury. Then you went back to League of Ireland. How did that kind of pan out? Yeah, I, um, I was mad at the time. Uh, a lot of the lower league clubs in England they signed this TV deal with ITV Digital. It became a defunct TV station, but they were gonna show all the lower league matches. And they actually gave the clubs uh, like 1.7 million each, which was a lot of money at the time to kind of League One, League Two clubs. Yeah. So all the clubs budgeted that they were going to get this money. And then overnight, the thing collapsed. ITV Digital just literally collapsed. And the clubs got themselves in the red. And a lot of clubs in the administration, and Swansea being one of them. And my ankle was broke at the time. I, I, I snapped my knee totally against Reading in a Coca-Cola Cup game when I was 19. I, uh, Graham Murty. Remember Graham Murty? I remember you telling me that. I remember we were watching. Uh, this yeah. was going to watching a pub. We were watching a game in a pub, and you told me that story about Murthy. He, 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 he was, yeah, he, he was. He was. He, he captained Reading for years, but I was having a really good game against Reading in the Coca Cola Cup, and it was the only time my mum came over to watch me for Swansea because she was always afraid in case I get hurt. Oh, she didn't no want to watch way. me. Mum and dad come over, and I was. I started the game really well, and um, anyway, the ball just bounced inside, and I got there first, and my leg was planted, and he came in, and he my knee was totally ruptured, everything, oh, uh, cruise shit. Medial, I snapped the cartilage. I broke the tibia. It was I. So I was out for. I was out for about. I was out for a year, maybe over a year. And That's a long time to and be then out. I came back. I came back, and um, there was no reserve league at Swansea. I went on loan to a Welsh league club called Martha Tibble, um, just to get my match fitness up. And then in the meantime, the manager got sacked. The new manager came in and. He, I was still training with Swansea and he was like, oh, you're looking sharp. We're going to bring you back from the loan. And I knew myself I wasn't ready. But, you know, you don't say no, do you? Yeah, um, yeah. And I remember we played, I just got back after being a year out and um, we went up to Hartlepool on a Tuesday night, freezing cold. And I was just back in the team, about four weeks back in the team. And I could feel myself getting back. And then a fella came over the top of the ball and absolutely snapped my ankle, broke my ankle. Oh, <laughs> so so I was out there. I was out then for about eight months, but I actually my contract was coming to the end, so I was still in plaster, and I got released by Swansea, um, which was probably illegal at the time. They meant to do your rehab, but uh, Pat's then offered me a contract. Pat Dolan offered me a contract, and my ankle was nowhere near right. But in fairness, he he was good to me, and he, he you know he he um he gave me time, you know, and he, I didn't kind of play the end of that season, and then I kind of came back the next season, uh, signed a short term kind of contract, and then I signed a long term one. And then Pat left St. Pat's. And then he signed me for, uh, he left, he went to Cork City, he signed me for Cork City. Um, and then, do you know what? I'll be honest with you, Mick, I, I was, I, I kind of fell out of love with the game. I, I yeah, think I was, yeah. I think I got bamboozled with what happened at Swansea and all the injuries. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't in a good place. Like, I, and I probably don't only realize that now I was like, I wasn't enjoying my football. I did, I was I like, lost, I went through lost a period. That fun for it kind of thing. I, I didn't care. I went through a period where I didn't care. And I was mm. like, I wasn't really, I was always fit, lad, but I wasn't probably training as well as I could have trained. Um, I was probably starting to enjoy a point with the lads a little bit too much. And yeah. I was like, the League of Ireland just wasn't, at the time, it wasn't doing. And that's that's wrong to say. I should have been coming in and going 100% and going at it. But um, yeah, it knocked me a little bit back, to be honest with you. And only now I realised that and I was kind of trying to put a brave face in it. But I was probably down in the dumps a lot at the time. Yeah, and yeah. I, um, it's going to have an effect on you, especially being released and you're in a cast and you're like, like you've gone from being, you know, at Swansea and, you know, two, two bad tackles is kind of, you know. Um, and look, that, that happens, you know. It's, it's everyone, look, everyone has, has a sob story. At the end of the day, I wasn't good enough. Um, that's the bottom line. But... Um, yeah, I came back to the, I came back to Ireland, and I was like, I kind of felt like a bit of a failure. I didn't make it over there, and my confidence was rocked a bit. So I never really probably done in the League of Ireland. Well, I didn't what I probably should have done for not being big headed, but the ability that I had, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't show enough application if I'm if I'm honest. But 
it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And you were you caught because it with Doyle, um, Kevin Doyle and those when they were coming through, was it? Yeah, well, Doyle was at Pat's and, and Pat Dolan brought um, him down to Cork just before me and then I came down. Um, but Kevin was a Kevin. Kevin was really good. He was a great lad. He was so powerful and quick and direct, and he could finish with both feet. But a good team at Cork, really good team. George O'Callaghan, John O'Flynn, he's, he's a ball, yeah. uh, Dan Murray. Um, you know, re- Mick Joe Gamble and then was it? The Gamble came after I I, I went then. Um, when I left, they started winning leagues. Like <laughs> so I remember, we, I, we were, I remember we were playing against. There was an FAI Cup at Terryland there, and they were they brought thousands with them. They had a great, and this they were all you know, and your man who was your man up front, Fenn was it Neil Fenn? Neil Fenn, yeah, yeah, he's a good yeah. player. He's um, a good player. Yeah, he was a good yeah, player. There was a massive, Fenn, massive, yeah. big crowd there that day. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then do you know when you sort of I know you went to Oz for a bit and. Uh, you were playing um, over there and then you played for a couple of teams you came back. Um, was it, when you went into, was it kind of coaching something you had in your mind that you wanted to do, Case? Or was it, I know you said you maybe the passion had gone from maybe the playing side of it near the end, but um, you obviously wanted to stay in the game in some way. How did that kind of come about? Yeah, I know, I, I, you know, I always loved the game. I just kind of had a spell where I kind of, kind of lost a little bit of interest, I suppose, or whatever. But yeah, coaching, I did my, I did my, B license um, when I was still playing I, I did I, I always had a thing I enjoyed the coach and I always thought I could see the game pretty well um, and then I done my I got a job with the FAI when I came back from Australia I played for Melbourne Knights for a year over there with a Croatian club called, they were called Melbourne Knights but they're Croatian predominantly Croatian club I remember you telling me they had some fanatical fans as well <laughs> Yeah, man. You play that. You play Australia. The Australian leagues are all they're all ethnic. You know, every club is either Greek, Serbian, um, Croatian, Macedonian. You know, and yeah, the, the rivalry between them was crazy as well. But it was a brilliant club. It was Mark Verduka's old club. Great setup there. Lovely stadium. And I actually had a really good year there. One of the most enjoyable years I ever had in football. I ended up playing left side centre back in a three five two, which I never did in my life. And I ended up loving it. And I had a great year. They were trying to sponsor me then on a sports visa for five years. I had no intention of playing football. Me and my missus were going travelling for the year. Yeah, I remember. It just yeah. happened happened accidentally. Um, and we'd spent six weeks in Thailand before that. So I had a big beer belly on me and I was eating everything <laughs> in sight in Thailand. So I was like, the saying to the manager, I said, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not ready. It was. And it was it was summer in Australia. It was oh, January. Sweat, sweat it was summer. I swear to God, Nick, I lost all the weight within about three weeks. Like, it was melting. But I loved, loved our time there. I My missus loved it. I nearly had to drag her back onto the plane when the visa was up. They were trying everything they could to get me a sports visa, but they didn't operate 52 weeks of the year. They weren't like an A-League club. They were the next level down. They were a Victorian yeah, yeah, Premier League. Yeah. But they, they were brilliant people. There was a fellow there, Steve Mandekitch. I'm still in touch with him now. He was a Carl, car salesman and he had his own place. To, he was loaded and he was like, I'm going to give you 50 grand. You bring it down to immigration and just give them 50 grand. And I'm like, I'm like, Steve, it doesn't work like that. I can't just give them a, an envelope of 50 grand. And it might like, end up in prison. Yeah, I got it. They're going to stamp my passport. Like, and he goes, and he's like, why the fuck not? And I said, Steve, I don't know. How did you get into this country? Like, um, so yeah, we came back home then. And then a job came up at the FAI um, and I applied for it. Vinnie Butler actually rang me, um, my old manager at Belvedere. And he told me about this job coming up. He rang me mum and dad. He was still in touch with them. And then they rang me and I applied for the job. I actually applied for a job in Dublin and I didn't get the job. But then they rang me and because I was shortlisted or whatever. And they said, there's a position in Sligo we'd like for you. We'd like to offer it to you. And I had never been to Sligo apart from playing against Sligo Rovers. And we always lost there. So I always hated Sligo. I knew nothing about it. Yeah. And then we moved up. We moved up here and I, and. It's my home now. We love it here. Um, yeah. Beautiful county. And I worked for the FAI as a development officer for seven years then. Wow. And then, and yeah. You stint it back in the States then, didn't you, before the, you came back in? I took a job. And what what type of experience was that in regards to coaching compared to here? Um, yeah, maybe just, and, and what kind of things you picked up over there in regards to their sort of, sort of view on the game or, or how to coach? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's a pay-to-play model over there, Mike. So it's a business, you know. Um, really? Yeah, it is. It's a it's a big business over there. Now, I was lucky enough. I got into a club called uh, FC Westchester, who were playing in the academy league, which was 
the top youth league in the state. So you, you had it was all the MLS clubs, and then to make up numbers for the divisions, the best next clubs were in those divisions. So we would play Red Bulls, um, New York City FC, uh, New England Revolution. So and the standard was good. It, it yeah. was it was good, um, and we done well. We, we held our own. We 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 made the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. We made playoffs a yeah, couple yeah. of years. Kind of punched above our weight, but it was a brilliant experience for me because I made the. I was just a coach to start with, and then they made me director of coaching for the whole club. So I had a lot of responsibility. I had to manage a staff of probably twenty five coaches, and and half were full time and half were part time. I had to do curriculum design. I had to present to a 12-man board in New York and all these guys were multi-millionaires like working working in the city and I learned so much there. It was an unreal experience uh, for me. Um, probably learned more in that stint uh, as a person about myself than, than ever and I really enjoyed it. I didn't have kids at the time. Um, my missus was over back and forth all the time and then, you know, we had our kids. The kids came along and it, the job was every evening. It was every weekend. It was phone calls, emails. But like the coaching, it was weird. It was totally different. The players are different completely to the Irish players. Really? Just different. Yeah. They need instruction. The, the the US kids are so structured because it's never been a street game over there. It's I always you. I you, they've yeah. never played on the street, Mike. So they've been kicking the tennis ball about around the around the streets. So, uh, nothing. And listen, we had some kids from the Bronx and a place called Portchester, where the big big Latin American uh, kind of uh, community. And those guys, you could see the difference in them. They were more streetwise. But then I had kids from towns like Greenwich, Connecticut, Chappaqua, where the Clintons lived. And there was sixteen. You had to be told down. where to stand and where to. These kids were driving in, and these kids were driving in in Range Rovers. I'm like, I'm not exactly 16. One kid, one kid was driving in in a Porsche Panamera at 16 for his birthday, and then you had another kid coming up from the Bronx. He took seven trains to get there, yeah. so oh, it was dear. typical America. It was either the haves and the have-nots, but it was a great. Some of them it was like kind of soccer 101, trying to literally how to how to where to position themselves, how to pass the ball, kind of. They needed instruction. They needed. They wanted to be told what to do, as opposed to Irish kids or British kids. You know, they they'd figure it out kind of for themselves. Yeah, natural through, kind of, yeah. Very structured. They needed to know the reason why I'm standing here and why we were playing this formation, and they wouldn't vary out of kind of their job spec. It was structure, structure, structure. Yeah. yeah. So it's a good experience. You learned, as you said, you learned a lot from that. I did, yeah. Um, and there's another really good podcast apart from my one. Obviously, there's. There's a, there's a, I don't know if you've heard of the High Performance Podcast with, um, yeah, with Jake Humphrey and, and your man Damien Hayes, who, who wrote, you know, the Barcelona Way and all those. But uh, Gareth Southgate was actually on recently and it's actually a good episode. And he was yeah, talking a lot about, you know, he's, sometimes he was deemed as not having passion because he wasn't jumping around and roaring and, and screaming on the sidelines, you know, like your Contes or your Mourinho's. But he was saying kind of, you know, you can be passionate and, um, you know, still have those what they call them as kind of soft skills. So you're empathetic, and and you know the footballer is probably a different breed than they were back. When, you know, even when you were playing, um, you know, sometimes they, they don't. You know, like some of Marino teams recently, he's lost the dressing room and stuff because they just can't deal with that type of management skills. But um, it was it was you know it was in, it was interesting. To listen about how he I suppose coaches and how he's probably changed and and that togetherness of a team is is really important he finds you know and it's he eats with the team as well and and he said they're probably more comfortable when he leaves the bar like but he was laughing but it's like that kind of you know group you know sometimes it, you hear about you know when Rio and, and Gerard and they were talking about their time in England it tended to be very club they stuck together they ate together because they probably played against the weekend and kicking lumps out of each other and it was very sort of we're Man U you're Liverpool whereas He's trying to get rid of that. So, what was your view on that kind of thing? Yeah, look, every, everyone's got a everyone's got their own style, you know. Um, I mean, I used to be involved in coaching courses with the FAI, and 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 look, it's changing all the time the curriculum and how they coach. But I and I've been through the badges, and I used to have a problem sometimes with. I used to feel like they'd stifle the qualities of some individuals I almost felt like they were trying to churn out coaches that were coaching exactly the same way as the tutors okay. were delivering practical sessions and some of the guys that were struggling on the course in the tutors eyes 
for me, were potentially the best coaches on the course because they had so much. Uh, they had they had um, they had some outstanding qualities. You know, and they might have been rough around the edges. They might have been a little bit this, but they might have had unbelievable observation skills, or they might have had brilliant communication skills. Which for which for me, are the two most important things for any coach: your observation and your communication. Being able to see it and then being able to deliver your message and involve the players in their own learning you know open-ended questions and trying to trying to pull the answers out of them but I used to be like okay well for me people say oh he's nowhere near ready and I go oh my god am I seeing it a different way here because for me he's potentially the best guy on the course okay um and honestly that's the way I was and I think sometimes in coaching and coaching and lads going down the road of coaching badges and I know brilliant shooters with the FAI, I, 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 I've had unbelievable tours. Like Niall Harrison being a mentor to me for years. I, I, I'll argue he's as good as a coach or tutor as you'll find anywhere. And I mean anywhere. He's wow. unbelievable. And and you know what? Um, he used to just do the simplest things. He used to say, I remember I had a session, the dreaded session, coach tracking and recovery runs. Uh, that was my final topic for my A licence. Oh. And everyone's like, oh, God, you've got that, you've got that. And I was kind of going, all right. And I was kind of sweating a bit, you know. And he was my tutor. And I and he goes, are you all right, Kiss? And I said, yeah, yeah, and grand and grand. And he goes, are you all right in the session? Do you want to ask any questions? And I says, well, what about this? And I started kind of complicating it. And he goes, Kiss, you done a tracking and recovery run when you used to be a player, didn't you? And I went, yeah, yeah. yeah. I says, I did, yeah. And he goes, just coach that. And I kind of went, all right. Keep it simple, kind of thing. Yeah, just yeah. coach that coach, coach, coach the way you would have done it as a player. And I went right. Just go strip it back. Stop worrying. And he was very good, you know. Just, just little things like that. But yeah, um, everyone's got a different technique. And I listened to that podcast, that podcast with Garrett Southgate, and he's really good. And you look at his demeanor and his manner. He's very, very calm. And then some other people will say, "Oh, he's got no personality." There's no way he's got no personality. Them no. top end, play, them top end players, and the way he's got them working, the way they're organised, he's able to get his message across. He's able to command respect from oh, them. He's got, he's got steel about him. There's no doubt about it. And um, look, everyone finds their own way. America was unreal for me because I, I stepped out of the FAI umbrella yeah. of how I, how you're meant to coach, and I found my own style of coaching. And I, I truly believe that you have to figure out what you're all about. Uh, stick to it believe in it be open to people's advice 100% yeah. but like to be really good at anything you have to believe in what you're doing and and believe in your own style and and keep refining that instead of trying to my my issue was was like fellas used to coach the way tutors wanted them to coach and then for me the feedback you're getting then is not relevant to you because you're not coaching as yourself right yeah, yeah. i used to be like be yourself 100% here today do coach like you would on a Tuesday at your club because the feedback you're going to re receive from us as tutors is going to be 100% relevant to your development. Don't try and tick the boxes like you're doing a driving test. And yeah, you yeah. Feed, I was just about feed to them. say the same, yeah, because you, yeah, you, know, you feed the wheel through and, and you do all that sort of stuff. And you never drive like never that ever again, that. do you? You don't yeah. do that. So, like, I was always a firm believer in that, like be yourself and then any feedback someone would give you that you can improve on, you'll take bits away and then you can make, make your own style better than what it used to be. Yeah, no, brilliant. That's lo I love that. I saw a great video recently, actually, but I forgot the guy, I think he was a performance coach in New Zealand, worked with a lot of top level, but he was, they were talking about identifying talent from kids and <clears throat> they were saying, so a lot of people, they said they think that they've got this, you know, next whoever at the breakfast table and he said it's very unlikely and he, he drew out a grid and he was like, you know, you've got four four boxes. So say the bottom left box, he said, you've got, and on the axis was talent on one side and there was commitment on the other side. So he was like, the bottom left is say someone who has no talent and no commitment. They're obviously not going to be fully involved in sports because they don't want to be there. And, you know, for one, et cetera. And he said, and then you have, um, you have the ones who, the ones who break your heart, who have loads of talent, but no commitment and therefore, you know, late and they don't bring any gear. <laughs> We've all come across some of the who yeah. could have been, if they were just had a bit of the commitment, yeah. they could have been. Uh, and then you've got, they said the guys who have high talent and high and the, like really high talent, really high commitment. But he said, very rare. He said, I think George Gregan, he said was one person in five years. Sorry, in 25 years, he's found five people who had that. So it's very rare. But he said the most people who come into professional sport would have 
some talent they'd have a, a level of talent obviously but the commitment was through the roof so yeah. um and it was interesting ways of, of, of developing and you see a lot of development squads especially over here in the ga they're picking out people at a young age um and but sometimes they could potentially be they you know if they're eight nine how do you really know you know uh you worked with, with kids as well you know that development i'd say is important um how do you find that um and that that commitment have you come across players like that yeah, it's so hard. you got to be careful when you're judging players. You know, I'm only learning this because I've been burnt myself a few times where I've made a judgment on a player and, you know, and I thought, oh, he's not good enough. He's nowhere near it. And then you come back like a year later and you're like, wow, I, I won't name names like because one or two of the lads might listen to this, but we, uh, we've we had a kid come back to training this year. We're only back training for four weeks. Yeah. And last year I was like... Ah, he's not good enough, you know. He, he he's yeah. not he's, he's not good enough for a whole season, and he's come back this year. For, so he was under six, under seventeen last year, but playing the year up. So he's playing year appropriate this year at, at under seventeens. And like honest to God, Mike, he looks like a new man. Whereas if I was to make, if someone asked me to make a decision on him at the end of the year whether we were going to keep him or release him, which we don't do, we keep him for two years to develop oh, yeah. them. You would have probably said, if I had ahead. to make a decision, well, I would have said no, we're going to release him. And he's come back, honest to God, it's it's unbelievable. He's but, probably yeah, been working it, hard over the, the close season as he's probably been putting yeah, it in and has, like he... he has. I mean, Johnny Kenny now is 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 broken to Sligo Rovers first team. He's only 17. Uh I had him there for two years um with Sligo Rovers. And so he played up a year uh last year on the sorry, the year before last on the 17s. And he didn't think when I when I took over the team, he came in for the trials moving up from the under 15s. He didn't think he was going to make the 17 squad. He was telling all his mates, I'm not going to get in and not going to get in because he didn't play that much football even in the under 15 team. Now right now he had a he had a decent year with under 16, decent yeah. like okay. But he came back after the lockdown and he walked through the gates and he looked like a thoroughbred racehorse. He went from like he went from about, you know, eight stone, eight and a half stone soaking wet. And he walked through the gates where everyone's jaws dropped. And like he worked so hard and he came in, he had, his quads were ripped, his shoulders, he had this 20 pack. And mate, he <laughs> had a conditioning was off the charts. So he committed. Um, and he said, Look, I want this. And, but he, um, always, he, always, he, always had, he always had the ability. He always had a knack for goal. He, he just has that knack. He gets in the right spot at the right time. You can't coach it. And he can finish with both feet. But it was just being able to. And now he's he's playing week in week out for Sligo Rovers top of the league. And they so far there. Yeah, and and look, I mean, two years ago, people would never would never have thought that mm-hmm. that he's going to be playing for Rovers at seventeen. So you've just got to stick with them. You've just yeah, got to stick with them and yeah. commit to developing them. Yeah, because like he's probably turned around and said, "Look, I I I need to to start working on my strength conditioning. You know, I need to if I'm going to go to the next level, I'm going to we're going to play for the first team." You know, and he's gone away and took that upon himself and come back and you know now look at he's playing in the first team. So that shows yeah. us sometimes, you know, and I suppose that that confidence in your own ability, but they're actually to, you know, and looking back, you know, this time I, I thought, okay, you know, in hindsight now, you know, I could have done X, Y, and Z, you know, to kind of work a bit more on conditioning and fitness and stuff. Um uh, but he's kind of gone away and at a young age said, nah, look, you know, I'm gonna knuckle down and look, he, he reaped the rewards. So um, that's serious going and you're involved obviously with the under 17s um, like is it do you you know where do you see your coaching going like case do you do you um, like your own goals is it to kind of just keep progressing within within the club and see you know and, go, and getting a position in coaching at a higher level as well or, or how you it's a hard I'll be honest with you Mike the industry in this country outside of uh, working for the FAI, it's you know you look. It's very hard to get full time jobs. It, it, yeah. Even even our academy structures, you know, we're starting to employ full time academy directors now. We have one at Sligo, Connor O'Grady's doing great stuff. But like outside of that, like you know, there's no full time jobs for like under 17s or under 16s, or you're or you're running a whole section. Like say you're involved of the, you're overseeing the 12s to 14s, and you're or you're overseeing the 14s to 16s, like you would in like a an E Triple P Academy in England. So yeah. we're 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 still miles behind on that stuff, you know. And you know, Ireland is unbelievable. Like, I mean, it's got an unbelievable volunteer uh, spirit. But sometimes I feel like the biggest strength of coaching in this country is volunteerism. Yeah. But it's also its biggest weakness because sometimes it can hold back the professionalism because yeah. they're like, 
oh, if I can get someone to do it for nothing, you know, that's yeah, we'll grand. Do I, don't have, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't have to pay this guy or whatever, you know. And I oh, look at him out there. He's doing it week in, week out, and he's putting the hours in. And that's unbelievable. Like, like I said, it's the biggest strength of clubs in this country. Yeah. But I think sometimes it's holding back, moving back, yeah. to the next stage. If you want quality, you have to pay. And if you want to get up to the next level, people, you you have to you have to pay the top guys to do that. There's no doubt about it, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know the answer to that one, Michael. Where I'm going to end up coaching wise, because there's not that there's not that many opportunities yeah, in Ireland to make a career. I'm starting to dip my fingers into a few other things now. I have a family, I've I have bills to pay, and and and, yeah. um, and stuff like that, you know. Obviously, but um, I love football. I love coaching. But right now, it's not a, it's not an industry in this country yeah. where you can you can throw your hat in it and make yeah, and the opportunity just on there. For the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, what do you reckon to Stephen Kenny and the boys and how he's obviously trying to place players, a new new generation of players. He's investing in the young players. Uh, how, how how do you think that's gonna that process is playing out? Yeah, I mean, look, the last couple of games, I mean, look, he got the first win against Andorra, obviously, which was had to happen. Um, yeah. And the game against Hungary the other night was, was I thought it was a good, solid performance. It, you know, I was delighted with his appointment, to be honest with you, because I was sick of watching what was going on in the couple yeah. of rages. There was no progression. There was no plan. I think he's got a clear plan. He knows what he wants. Um you know, I know guys that have worked with him to speak very, very highly of him. And, and you know, he's shown he's, he's shown a bit of steel. You know, he's come out fighting. He came out fighting after. What game was it he came out fighting after? I remember. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I remember the... I remember the, the game at the Aviva, was, was it kinda, against Luxembourg or something? Yeah. And it was a good thing. I'm glad, I'm glad he did, yeah. Yeah, I was glad too. I was like, don't don't just kind of toe the party. Like, he came out scrapping. You could see it, a bit of steel about him. Um, But look, he, he's given players a chance. And look, we, we need to blood new players. Mm. The end of the day, it's about players. The game. So I don't care who you are. I always say to people, ask Pep Guardiola to go and win the Champions League with Rotherham United's players. Yeah, it, it's not going to happen. But yeah, look, I I think we have to stick with him. Um, I like what he's trying to do. But the end of the day, we need we need we need our players playing at their clubs. Yeah, if they're not playing, if they're not playing at their clubs, it's it's very very difficult. But look, I, I'm. I'm I'm a, I'm a Kenny fan and I want them to do well and I like what he's trying to do so hopefully in, in a few years time we'll see the fruits of it Good stuff last couple we're almost there um, so someone's kind of been there done that um, got, gone over and played and been a professional um, say so your advice to a to a young uh, Ryan Casey or a young player um, coming through would be your best advice to give to them in regards wants to be a pro what advice would you say but um, if you want to be a pro, I mean, look, you have—I mean, you have to work hard. You have to work your socks off. Work on all your weaknesses, yeah, um, all the time. Just constantly and be tough mentally. You know, I think this—I think the mental side of the game, everyone ignores it. I think it's huge. I think I needed that help when I was younger. I used to struggle yeah. with nerves really bad, and it used to affect my performance. Exactly. I think, yeah, big time. I think that you know, I know you're involved in that line of things, Mike, as well. I think it's huge nowadays. Um, but yeah, look, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough uh, career to yeah. really, really make a career out of it. I mean, the percentages will tell you that. But what advice I will get is get, keep your education going in the background. Yeah, make yeah. sure you got, make sure you don't put all your eggs in one basket, and you have something to fall back on. Um, yeah, you've got so much spare time as a young player or a young pro. Instead of hitting the golf course or hitting the bookies, um, try and keep your education going on the sideline because um, at the drop of a hat, it can change. You know. Yeah, but no, I remember the, the mental side of things. I think it was something when I was young. It was I was lacking confidence. I felt when I was on the pitch a little bit more. But before and out, you know, I'd be, and it, it turned out I had a lot of sort of tummy problems and stuff. And it turned out there was a lot of stress, which I didn't know now. And studying the brain over the last few years, and that was connected to the gut and the brain axis is actually um, that you know that it's a connection. And at the time, and and it was like you know, maybe I was probably too quiet and didn't speak up for myself enough. And, you know, I'd get my head down if I, if I didn't have a good training or whatever, or, you know, if I was buzzing and then didn't get selected, well, you know, it was kind of like, then you'd sort of, you yeah. know, your, your performances then start to kind of dip. And it was kind of, you know, like that, if I was to go back, it was just, to, you know, to, to say, you know, wish you had a bit more confidence and, and to kind of speak up for yourself sometimes as well, do you know? 
but uh, it's hard to when you're in, a, in, in an environment and you're young and you're kind of like, you know, you're just trying to do your best and you end up, because I'd be quite of a, like you you said earlier on in the podcast, you know, if you had a bad game, you'd be like, or a bad training, geez, I should have done that and that. So that kind of eats away you and then it has a knock-on effect. So, uh, but as you said, it's a tough business, tough business. And, um, you know, like just looking through your your bio there, you know, some of the stuff you've achieved is, 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 is amazing. So, and, uh, you know, that, you know, serious wand of a left foot, a left foot as well. Um, the best I've played with any of. But uh, last question, Case, and we'll wrap it up. I know you've uh, it's getting late, and uh, the Euros are start tonight, so you'll do me a. Uh, who, who who have you got for the Euros? Last question. Ah, <laughs> uh, hard to see past France. It's hard to see past France if all their players stay healthy and Ingolo. fit. Ingolo, some baller, isn't he? Oh, unbelievable! Yeah, and Benzema Benzema's back in the mix, isn't he? You got Mbappe and. Varane, 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 is that a Varane, Varane? Yeah, they've got some serious... Uh, they've got a serious squad. Look, I, I'd actually like to see England get far for the interest, but then lose in the final. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Foden got the Gaza. No, Gaza I'd, I'd like to see him. I think they got a good Foden's, squad, but... Um, yeah. Foden's some baller as well. Got, I don't know about he's his Gaza haircut, I'm not sure about Yeah, that. I know. Yeah, I love that, because I remember that at the 96, it was brilliant, yeah, but he's, yeah. he's quality. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the games now, to be honest. It should, yeah, I just saw be there, I just saw, was it... Uh, What's his name? Um, Bocelli banging out Ness and Dormer. It was like back when I was Italian 90, it was like goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. oh, stunning, man. Unbelievable scenes, yeah. But uh, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, got some great stories there, and I think people are going to really enjoy that. And, uh, you know, and thanks to you, I said you, you I, I remembered like going over, I said to a new club and stuff, and new, new town. And I remember you were the first one to. You know, say you know, we'll show you around and uh, put put the, the the arm around and say, okay, you know, and and sort of showed yeah. you around too much, Michael. Uh, yeah, CPs. I think showed you around too much. much. Yeah. No, I'm joking. But uh, no, no, I appreciate that, and uh, and uh, looking forward to a catch up when we do able to travel again. And uh, um, no, it's great catching up. I appreciate that. No, I enjoyed it. Pleasure, see, pleasure, chance again, and hopefully we'll uh, meet each other in person soon, Mike. Yeah, we will indeed. Okay, buddy. Cheers, bud. All right, bud. Thanks, man. All the best. And that's a wrap, guys, of episode number one of the Lean Into Life podcast and number 36 overall. Um, really, really enjoyed that chat. It's been a few years since we had a catch up with Case and, uh, you know, there's a lot I learned um, from researching, but also um, ha- having that sort of chat there with an hour and an hour and five minutes, um, a lot about um where it all started and his drive and passion uh, to succeed. And I think he's very modest, you know, saying he wasn't good enough. He was definitely good enough, um, you know, getting his knee wrecked and then his ankle. And, that, and that's what he was talking about there about, you know, having education and, and wishing, you know, to, to, to have that as well on the side. Um, because, um, you know, as I said, it can be, it can be cut short uh, in a moment, but um, unbelievable play. And as I said, the best I've ever, uh, uh, had the pleasure to play with so um and uh, a top lad along with that and um so great insight there to coaching and development of young players as well so i got a really really lot of knowledge from from case there and um yeah really interested and really enjoyed it um and what a way to to kick off uh the first uh, lean into life podcast so uh, a great little insight into into high performance and what it takes to get to the top and um some great stories there about the the under 18 win as well so um Brilliant, really enjoyed it. If you liked it, which I'm sure you did, uh, please share, rate, tag, all that, all that type of jazz. Um, go, go onto Apple Podcasts and get and give it a rating, and, and and pop it on your story and Instagram, and tag, tag myself, tag the gym, and uh, yeah, we'll get this, uh, we'll get this out to as many people as possible. So, um, yeah, so we'll we'll keep the show on the road. Got some solo ones planned as well as some more guests coming up. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, to a summer of. Uh, uh, summer of podcasting and again um you know talking about how we can uh, develop ourselves into the best that we can be i just wanted to leave you with a quote that ryan said earlier on in the podcast and um, when we were talking about um his sort of belief in himself as a coach um and it was uh, to be really good at anything you have to believe in what you're doing and believe in your own style and keep refining that I thought that was great because I said you can, you know, it's great to be open and to people's advice and everything, but uh, you got to believe in your own style and what you can do as well. So love that. Great way to finish the uh, podcast. So yeah, great stuff, guys. I will see you uh, very soon and we'll keep the show on the road. And thanks again for the support. 
So uh, as I said, lean into life, and that's what it's all about. And Ryan is a good advocate of of that. He really lent into life and, and really grabbed his opportunity by with both hands. So um, yeah, loved it. All right, guys, we'll talk to you very soon. Uh, mind yourself. Take care. Bye bye.